You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 45 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, December 3rd, 2015. I'm Victor Marks, and with me is managing editor of Apple Insider, Neil Hughes. Hey, how's it going, Victor? I'm really glad you're here, Neil. How are you doing? Doing well. Good. You're, uh, you're with us in sunny Florida. I am. I'm in Florida for the next month. Wow. Sweating. Pretty, pretty far south for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to jump right in. The, the Rupner that we're going to open with, the story we're going to open with, is the idea that Apple may ditch the headphone jack on a proposed iPhone 7. And that means pushing audio over Bluetooth or over the lightning connection or over Wi-Fi with AirPlay. First of all, what do you think of this idea? Uh, I mean, I think it's inevitable, but I don't think it's going to happen this next year. I think it's too soon. Okay. Why, why do you think that? Well, um, for starters, how much thinner can you make the phone? They still, I mean, you can look at a uh, iPad Air 2 or an iPod Touch, and they're thinner than the iPhone, and they still have headphone jacks. So it's not impossible. I think the technical reasons for it are not there yet. I could see other reasons, like, for example, the reason you don't have a headphone jack on a Apple Watch, you know, waterproofing, that kind of stuff, or water resistance. But I, I don't think it's going to happen next year. I think it's too soon. Hmm. I, I th- you know, the water resistance one hadn't occurred to me because I've got a waterproof iPod. So we, we know it can be done. But yeah, I can see why, why you're thinking that it's not coming right away. Our own sources who have been pretty reliable on this kind of stuff said that Apple was planning a 2016 iPhone 7 to be the thinnest one yet. Shocking. Uh, but about comparable to the iPad Air 2 and iPod Touch. So it's looking like, and if you look at uh, what Ming-Chi Kuo said uh, a few months ago, you look at a new iPhone between 6 and 6.5 milliliters. Millimeters. <laughs> That's a volume measurement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 6 and 6.5 millimeters thick. So the... Um, uh, iPhone 6 was about 6.9 millimeters, and I think the new Series 7000 aluminum on the 6S makes it just over 7 millimeters thick. If you look at the iPod Touch and the iPod iPad Air 2, they're 6.1 millimeters thick, and they both still have headphone jacks. So you could make the next iPhone thinner by a full millimeter and still fit headphone jack on there. Now, then you raise questions about bendability and stuff. I mean, I know the whole bend gate thing with the iPhone 6 was way overblown and stupid, but I mean, they did make the, the phone stronger and thicker with this year's model. And, uh, and they do subject them to a twisting test anyway. They do bend them right. to see. So, uh, you know, there, there's something to be said for thin devices, but uh, in terms of uh, what users want, like a headphone jack in terms of battery life, in terms of that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily understand the obsession with thinness. Um, but I mean, I think it's inevitable that next year's phone is going to be thinner because that's kind of what Apple does and it'll have a whole new industrial design and all that. But I, I would be very surprised if they got rid of the headphone jack. Would you miss it if they did? Yeah. Um, I use, Mostly Bluetooth headphones these days, but I still do use uh, wired headphones if I'm be listening for a long session, like if I'm going on an airplane, for example, and I'm going to listen for two or three hours or something. Then I just go with wired headphones. I'm not going to mess around with Bluetooth and all that crap. 
but uh, in terms of convenience, like when I'm exercising or if I'm just taking a quick ride on the train or something like that, um, I have like really super portable, lightweight headphones that I can keep in a pocket. And then if I'm going on like a plane or a long car ride or something like that, taking a bus, uh, then I'll bring uh, over-the-ear headphones that kind of block out sound and let me kind of be in my own little world. Hmm. I, I rarely listen to headphones with my iPhone. I, um, I, I have lightning in the car because I've got CarPlay and I plug into that. Uh, there are a lot of cars that have USB audio to the head units now, so you don't need to use an aux cable. I, I'm just, I'm wondering if it's, if it's too soon to get rid of headphone just because there are so many other avenues to, to, you know, we don't, we don't need it anymore. I, I, I don't know. I think most people are still using wired headphones. Um, obviously with some sort of adapter you can plug in to lightning would be the theory right mm-hmm. apple would presumably ship ear pods with a lightning adapter on the end or lightning connector on the end and then that would in the box maybe uh although if the uh if the 12 inch macbook is any indication they won't put an adapter in the box uh but some sort of adapter would be available at the very least to make your traditional headphones work over lightning in some capacity i mean well, I put it this way, okay? I just flew to Florida this last weekend, and I was coming home for a while, and I'm moving, so I had to bring all my stuff. So uh, TSA has a field day with my bags because it's just filled with electronics, stuff I'm reviewing, stuff I'm mm. doing for work, whatever. At some point in rifling through my bag, the TSA lost the cap for my Apple Pencil. So I had my Apple Pencil for a grand total of a week and a half, maybe, maybe, maybe nine days or something. Uh, and lost the cap for the lightning uh, connector on the back. Plastic piece. Apple doesn't offer any replacements yet. So uh, I, I, I hate things like that that you can lose. I hate it. And I hate the idea of needing a lightning adapter for my uh, phone. That really sucks. Now, I, I, like I have uh, right now my headphones that I'm wearing and that I use on a daily basis are uh, Master and Dynamic. So they're they're pretty high end, really nice headphones. Uh, the the cord that connects from the headphones to whatever I plug it into is replaceable. I can swap it. I can move it to the other ear or whatever. So presumably, somebody like Master and Dynamic would be able to sell a new cable that would be uh, eighth inch audio jack on one end to plug in the headphone, and then Lightning on the other end to plug into your iPhone or whatever. But then that becomes a pain in the butt because okay, what if I'm using it for the podcast and I'm plugging into this microphone that I have here? Or right, what so if now I'm... you have to keep up with two cables and, right. and that's worse. <laughs> yeah, and then I want to use it with my MacBook. Well, there's no lightning connector on the MacBook either. So it just creates this kind of problem where I use these headphones in a number of different situations. And most of my iPhone headphone usage is with Bluetooth headphones, but I still do a fair amount with wired headphones. I uh, I had a chance to go hands-on with the Philips Lightning headphones at CES last uh-huh. year, and they were really cool, but it, it occurred to me several of the different kinds of things that they can do when they put Lightning on it, right. because they now have a power source, so they can do things like send to the phone an EQ profile that says, these headphones respond this way. You can go ahead and apply an EQ in the phone to make yeah, them sound cool. better. Yeah. The the headphones had volume controls on the ear cup ear caps. Because, you know, you're, you're able to send that kind of signal directly to the phone and have it control the phone's volume the same way that you get with the AVRCP over Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. So it opens up some kinds of things you can do 
because you've got that power source there. And when you do the the switching headphones to or switching uh, cables or putting an adapter in place to adapt to an analog one, you either put those kind of controls on the adapter or you just give them entirely. I feel like this is kind of like Apple getting rid of the home button. It's one of those things that everybody's clamoring for, but we're not there yet. Is it the home button or is it the transition to lightning from 30 pin? I, I just think that it's one of those things that's inevitable. Okay. It's inevitable that the headphone jack is going to go away. It's inevitable that the home button is going to go away. They have to go away. They're, they're, they're not necessary as the technology gets better, right? I mean, eventually you will have a iPhone designed much like an Apple Watch with no ports on it at all that, can, that charges through some sort of MagSafe slash uh, magnetic uh, charging capabilities. And you don't need to plug anything into it. I mean, that's the way your watch works now, and it works great. And, cool. uh, you know, with, with the home button, it's the same idea. The home button is there now because you need, the technology is not there to scan your fingerprint and to activate the screen and do all that kind of stuff in the way that Apple wants to do it. But inevitably, they're going to have to put fingerprint scanners in, in the home screen, right? Yeah. And I mean, that would be even more secure. You could make it so it's always checking your fingerprints so that, if your phone is unlocked and somebody else tries to use it, even though it's already unlocked, they can't use it if you wanted to lock them out. It would always be checking your fingerprint when you touch the screen. Why not, right? As long as it acquires it fast enough, sure. Right. I mean, and look at how fast it acquires it now when you use Touch ID. So, you know, and we're looking at maybe 10 years down the road, maybe even more than that for that kind of stuff. But again, this is where we're inevitably going. This is where the security is. This is where the capabilities are. And, you know, it, I, I think that, I think that, these things are going to happen eventually and people see that, but that's why they're kind of these rumors crop up and all that, because I'm sure Apple's talking about it internally because that's their ultimate goal, but they're not going to get rid of the headphone jack next year. I would be very, very surprised if they did. Mikey joining us from the wilds of Honolulu, Hawaii, the, the wonderful tropical paradise, Mikey Campbell. How are you doing, Mikey? Pretty good. What's up? Thanks for dialing in. So you wrote a story about a 15 inch MacBook air coming at WWDC. I did. You you did. And it strikes me as, as a little bit bizarre. I guess you're having trouble remembering. You blocked it out because it was so bizarre. First of all, 15-inch MacBook Air. The The story said that, that the idea was because there's a 12-inch MacBook that Apple could get rid of the 11-inch and have the 12-inch, a 13-inch, a 15-inch, and a 15-inch Pro. Right. And that this would be sort of simplifying the product line a little bit. Um. Obviously, a 13-inch Air has been in the product line for a while. It's pretty normal. What do you think about the idea of a 15-inch MacBook Air? Well, I mean, the uh, rumor was that there's going to be a... They're going to ditch the um, 11-inch form factor and tack on a 15-inch, right, for the mm-hmm. for the Air lineup. Uh and this rumor came from, uh, you know, so-so sources uh, from the Far East in Apple's supply chain, supposedly. So what I was thinking was that maybe, you know, they are working on an ultra-thin form factor, but uh, instead of, you know, labeling it as an air and you know, further confusing consumers, you know, by having uh, the air lineup completely overlap the pro lineup when there's not 
too much differentiation between the two. Um, maybe Apple is actually planning on slimming down the Pro. Uh, there are rumors about that circulating when the 12-inch Air, I mean, the, sorry, the, the 12-inch Retina MacBook came out. Mm-hmm. So uh, perhaps more uh, a more logical way to look at that rumor is that you know they're they're going to slim down the 13 and 15 inch pro models instead of you know ditching what is presumably a pretty popular device right the 11 inch mm-hmm. uh air is uh is a, it it's a niche product but it it is it I, is selling I like mine i like mine so my you know i was thinking while you were telling me about this the the idea of i think a 15 inch air is is kind of crazy. I kind of was thinking, what if there was a 15-inch MacBook that was a, a cousin of the 12-inch? Because right now we have mm-hmm. one product in the lineup that has the USB-C connection on it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, yeah, again, I mean, it, it could be, I mean, who knows? It could be a totally new product, but I, I mean, I'd if you, if you beefed up the 12-inch and gave it a little more power and then filled the rest of the case in it with battery you'd have a a two-day laptop instead of a 10-hour laptop right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that could be that that might be more feasible considering uh some people think that the 12 inch is underpowered right but Mm -hmm. i mean it's underpowered for a reason right those are the complaints it's underpowered and it's got usb-c as its only connector right well a headphone jack yeah so I, I could, I mean, yeah, I could see them making a 15-inch MacBook um, and kind of, you know, keeping it that one. It'll still be underpowered. Yeah, it'll be underpowered, but it'll be Well, much underpowered more, compared to a Pro, sure, but, yeah, but, but it'll it be, doesn't have to be as underpowered as the 12, necessarily. Yeah, it'll be, a, well, it'll be much more of a differentiation. You know, there'll, there'll be a gap between it, the 15-inch MacBook, and the 15-inch MacBook Pro that you know, there it, there won't be too much cannibaliz- cannibalization on, on um, you know, by releasing a product like that. Uh, but I mean, again, I don't know. Uh, the the twelve inch MacBook is already slim, and the rumor saying that this is going to be an all new form factor, right? I mean, all new form factor. This is going to be an all new design. So. Are they going to redo the the uh, the twelve inch? I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't buy this rumor. I just mm-hmm. don't. I, I think the writing was on the wall last year when the MacBook came out. The MacBook Air didn't really get much in the way of an upgrade, and it feels like the past. If you really want a thin and light notebook, the new MacBook is the one to go for. There are a little too many concessions at this point. I think for the average consumer to get it, but it's just kind of. I feel like the whole MacBook line is in a weird transition right now right mm-hmm. like you look at the macbook air and it's a great design and it still holds up well and it still has all the ports that you can't get on a macbook but it 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 just the macbook air it would be hard to to tell someone to buy a macbook air right now no retina display um it, and older processors and it's just it's and macbook air is not a good buy right now now the macbook pro remains pretty great but you can see where there's room for improvement there too for example the new MacBook Pros have the Force Touch trackpad. You know, the MacBook's kind of at a crossroads, right? So you have the 13-inch and the 15-inch models that have been upgraded uh, with this uh, Force Touch trackpad. 
which the whole reason for the Force Touch trackpad being implemented in the first place is because it's a thinner design and, and they have the new Switch keys as, uh, in the MacBook and they want to give the Pro kind of some parity in that. But really, the advantage of it is that you can make an even thinner design. The current MacBook Pro does not take advantage of that thinner trackpad design. It's just kind of in there just to keep it up to speed with the 12-inch MacBook. So you got to think that the MacBook Pro is overdue for some sort of a redesign or a refresh, even if it's just a redesign for the sake of a redesign. The current design is amazing, uh, but they haven't refreshed it since the Retina Display models came out in 2012. We're going into 2016 now. Four years is probably enough time for them to consider tweaking it. So when I look at this rumor about a MacBook Air uh, 15-inch and 13-inch coming out, it makes me think that it's some sort of miscommunication in the supply chain because obviously they're not going to names of the products before they're coming out. And it's probably a thinner design on the MacBook Pro. I think the the uh, MacBook, the 12-inch MacBook with Retina Display is the successor to the MacBook Air. And I think the MacBook Pro is going to be uh, updated next year. And that's probably what you're going to see, some sort of a thinner design. Now, for me personally, I would... Uh, love to get a 13-inch MacBook that has a dedicated graphics card in it like they have in the 15-inch model, but <laughs> I'm luck. not holding my breath for that because I don't Good think it's going to happen. Luck. Uh, or maybe some sort of a Thunderbolt display with integrated graphics over Lightning, uh, or I'm sorry, over Thunderbolt. That would be nice, but uh, I don't think any of those things are going to happen anytime soon because I would like to get the best of both worlds, some power and some portability. Well, then you should get an iPad Pro, Neil. I have one. But I already complained about TSA losing my Apple Pencil cap, so. TSA. Don't get me started. Neil, you wrote a story about Apple Watch sales. Actually, yeah. Yes, you did. I'm I'm citing one right now. (laughs) Well. Um, The Apple Watch sales were expected to surge. the, The predictions are great depending on where you come from. So. Before the Apple Watch was even announced, before anybody knew what the hell it was or anything like that. Is this a Wall Street rant? Before it was announced, you had a lot of people on Wall Street and elsewhere predicting sales of 40 million, 60 million units in the first year. They were looking for like crazy numbers. They had no idea what it was, how much it was going to cost, what it was going to look like, what it was going to do. No idea. Fictional product, pie in the sky, eh, 60 million units. So now some numbers come out and people are like, oh, that's disappointing. People were expecting much more when the Apple Watch was coming out. Well, they didn't know that it was going to be $350 to start, but most people are going to go for the $400 model and blah, 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 blah. So uh, there was a prediction that came out this week um, from FBR and company analyst Daniel Ives there, who thinks that uh, Apple could hit 6 million units in the December quarter for the Apple Watch, um, which would be double his estimated total sales to date. So... Um, his predictions call for Apple hasn't announced sales, so we don't know, but his predictions say, uh, from April launch up until the start of the December quarter, which would be October, um, that they sold 6 million and he thinks they're going to sell another 6 million in the three months of the holiday quarter, doubling their sales, which sounds pretty reasonable to me. Um, I mean, again, we're going based on completely baseless numbers, (laughs) Uh, where we have no idea how many watches Apple has sold, but we've seen some discounts at, for Black Friday and Cyber Monday for the watch, you know, $50 off, gift card here, stuff like that. Uh, they introduced some new um, entry-level sport uh, gold colors, faux gold colors. 
um, new bands and expanded retail availability and expanded internationally. And it's the holiday season, and I feel like this was a wait-and-see product for a lot of people. And so now that it's coming up for Christmas, people are like, well, drop $400 on a watch for my spouse or something like that. So, yeah, I, I think this sounds like a reasonable prediction. Um, $12 million for the first, what, eight months of sales, seven months of sales? I think that's pretty good. So what's this part about early adopters who are unhappy with the lack of features? No, those are... Uh, okay. If you take read, take over. If you read the article that I wrote, well, that, I, I'm still on Neil's article, which mentioned that. But okay, well, if you read the article that I wrote past the headline, yes, uh, but I was problematic. Yes, I know it's hard for some people to do that. Mm. Um, you will see that uh, the study was just focused on a set of of Apple Watch customers who were unhappy. Okay, so they, they found 330 people who yes. were ultimately unhappy. Well, what I mean, the, the people who, who conducted the study, they said they mm-hmm. found that for every, I don't know, uh, 12 people that they... <laughs> King Arthur <Sorry>. approaching. <laughs> Camelot. <laughs> so that for every uh, 12 or so people that they uh, polled about Apple Watch said that they they knew like someone who didn't like it right um mm-hmm. and this state the same group basically said uh, a few months ago that there's a 97% satisfaction rate among all apple watch users so what they're doing is is they're polling the 3% on why they don't like the apple watch and even most of those people said they'd buy the next generation model so yes. they're not that unhappy yes <laughs> um, I mean, we got, we just have to really, uh, take into account, you know, the sample, right? Right. But, so, okay. So anyway, so anyway, 3% were unhappy and yes. of those 3%, I mean, it's, it's the usual, it was, it was things like, the let's see here. It was, it was, performance. I didn't find enough value and it was the biggest one. Yeah. I thought I it was mean, too limited. Uh, was the second one. And the rest were a mix of, I thought it was too slow, the battery didn't last quite long enough, and the whole idea of tilting the wrist to check the time was, was not what they wanted. Yeah. All well, right, the, let's, the, talk about, let's talk about our issues with it. Mikey, yes. if you had to fix three things about the watch, what would they be? Uh, faster connection with my phone, obviously. Yeah. Um, is is that I thought it was too slow, or is that? Yeah, I think well, it didn't get really granular, but I'm pretty sure that that's what people are thinking because the watch itself, the hardware, is not slow. It's the connection, it's the link with your phone, it's transferring uh, that data. It's not that slow. It's not a slow device. You disagree, Neil? I think the third party apps run like crap. Okay, well, a well coded application will run. An optimized application that is built for watch will run decently. I mean, there are, uh, like, uh, I, I know t- Taboo, to uh, to uh, mention him, but uh, Arment's Overcast, it's well implemented. And it, that thing is fast. It's, it's snappy. Right? The podcasting app. Um, even though I, I, I don't... Anyway... Okay, so, uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, it could be uh, part of that, right? I mean, transferring data back and forth takes time. 
I still see, even with the third-party apps like uh, Philips Hue, the light bulb app, I still see a little circle, you know, the uh, the loading screen. Do you use a lot of third-party apps? Um, not really, because they're usually not worth downloading. Right. Okay. Neil, what is the top thing you would fix? Don't definitely, say third-party apps. Yeah, definitely the apps. I mean, the the watch itself works pretty great. Um, you know, there were complaints about the turn to view it on your wrist. For me, that works perfectly. I have no issues with that. Um, it's very responsive uh, when you're doing basic functions. Um, it's when you get into the third-party software, and not just the apps. Uh, the what, what they call them widgets or not widgets? Uh, glances. What do they call the what? Glances. Glances. Yes. Yeah. Glances. Um, and the complications that I haven't found a lot of use for third party complications. I was excited about those when they won't launch with watch OS two, but, uh, yeah. And other than that, I mean, there are a few weird, um, glitchy things like I've ran into this a few times and my wife has as well, where I'll be getting notifications on my watch, but they're not showing up on my phone. And like, and I don't just mean notifications. I mean like actual messages. Like I'm getting alerts on my phone that I got a text message and then I open up the messages app on my phone and it's just mm, really, I, I've, I get kind of the, well, I don't know. I think I have too many devices connected to my account because I sit here. Right. So, I mean, sometimes I test this, like if I get a message, um, it's weird because usually it goes to my iPhone first, but mm. recently after I got the iPad pro, it's been going to that first, then it goes to my watch and then maybe my phone and then pops up on my Mac. Do you think it's going in order of what was added the most recently? No. It, iPad pro and then no. phone and then no, no. Uh, it, because it, it's not consistent. But yeah, anyway. I mean, generally I'll get alerts last on my iPad just because I think, you know, if it's idle and Wi-Fi, and it's just kind of kept checking sporadically, it seems yeah. like your iPhone is, is more connected and more alert. I don't know what the reasoning behind that is. I, I feel like we're we're very close, but the ecosystem needs to be a little more tightly integrated in a way where my phone and my watch know that I'm on my computer and then everything else shuts up. And if my computer is actively being used, then my alerts just show up on my Mac. And then if my computer goes idle or if I shut down my Mac, then it defaults to, because it's kind of already doing this, right? So if you're on your phone and you get an alert, your watch doesn't buzz because it knows you're using your phone. But it doesn't really do that as well, the watch notification integration stuff with other devices. Like, why doesn't my watch connect to my Mac? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, there should be there should be an activities Continuity app. or handoff yeah, or something. Yeah, I mean, there should be an activities app for uh, the Mac where I can dig deeper into you know, my stats and export them and do all kinds of crazy stuff if I want to. And it should just connect directly to my, uh, to my watch. I, I mean, I, that just seems like pretty logical at that point because the way it is right now, the, the iPhone is the center of your ecosystem. So if you do handoff from your Mac to your phone, then you can get it from your phone to your, uh, to your watch. I, I feel like the watch should just connect to the Mac on its own. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it could be power-saving concessions. Could be. 
Uh, you know, it, this stuff should be able to be pushed over iCloud, too, you would think. It doesn't even have to be a direct connection. It could just be... That is that is a dangerous thought, Neil. That's <laughs> dangerous. I don't know if I'd want that. You, you're, you're, you've gone down the rabbit hole of Apple and cloud services there. iCloud works pretty well for me. Until it doesn't, which is quite... Well, let, let's... let's talking let's, to the guy who has his entire movie collection saved in Dropbox, so I have... I was about to say, what do you use iCloud for, specifically? Uh, well, iCloud is my all my iPhone backups, my iPad backups, that kind of stuff. I wish I could back up my Mac to iCloud. I would love to back up my Mac to iCloud Drive. I think that'd be great. They used to kind of do that with .Mac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why you ago. can't do it. I mean, it would take forever to back up, but if it remembered what changes were made since your last backup, then the backups would become very small. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just the. I mean, the watch is just such a. I mean, it's a. It's a very first generation product. Hmm. Um. They just gussied it up, right? Well, I mean, they, they rev- revised the OS, but it's it, the it same needs, hardware. It needs faster hardware, it needs longer battery life, and it needs vastly improved software. Yeah. So basically, it should just be better. Yeah, I mean, and that's going to come. I mean, everything's going to get better, but it's going to take a little bit of time. Stop worrying about making it thinner. You know, the battery life is actually pretty good. I can't complain about the battery life, but if it would last a week as opposed to a day, that would be awesome. I don't want to have to charge it every night, but it, I have no problem getting it through a day. It's not like my watch is constantly dying on me or anything like that. Yeah. My watch has not died on me yet. Yeah, I've never had it die on me either, but I'm usually pretty paranoid. Like if I'm, you know, later in the day, I'll take like 30 minutes and put on the charger and it charges really quick. So I'm just a battery watcher. Speaking battery of charging, paranoia. To- totally off topic, but uh, have you charged the pencil yet? With your iPad? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty quick. Yeah, it's real quick. I mean, aside from the quick charge function. And a uh, tip tip for listeners who have an iPad Pro and an Apple Pencil, if you have the notification center widget for batteries turned on, which I believe it is by default in iOS 9, Mm -hmm. you can connect your Apple Pencil, swipe down notification center, and you can quickly view the state of charge of your iPad. Now, uh, I will say that... Plugging it into charge is a little awkward with this stick yeah. sticking out of the bottom of it, but I mean, it's convenient. It works. And it takes about a little more than 1% of the pro's battery life, which is acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. I have noticed that my pro is not getting super great battery life, but I think that's just heavy use. I'm, you know, using it a couple hours a day. What are you using it for when you use it a couple hours a day? Well, uh, my iPad has traditionally been like my couch PC. I don't want to, if I open up my Mac, I'm just inundated with work and stuff. And it's nice to just have something to kind of unitask with. And then if I need to do the multitasking, I can. Um, but mostly uh, browsing, reading, um, a little bit of video editing, a little bit of photo editing, that kind of stuff. Just kind of messing around, having fun with it. One of my favorite uh, photo editing apps uh, is called Union. Uh, and they just updated for the Apple Pencil yesterday. Distal Union? No, just it's called Union. Oh. It's it's just for merging photos. See, it's you can basically like take one photo and put another one on top of it, and then erase parts of it and kind of merge it together and create like different things. Compositing. Um, yes, and uh, it's a really easy and fun to use app, and I have a lot of fun with it. So it's yeah, it's, it's a lot better with it's a pencil by on. a company called Pixite. Yeah, and it's a really great app. Um, and if you like to make fun of your friends with photos and stuff, it's a good one to use. So. But, what about but what about Adobe? <laughs> Adobe Mix. 
does but the yeah, same I mean, thing. You, you the need iPad it. Pro, uh, just with all the horsepower and the that beautiful screen, uh, it's just really a joy to use. Um, I, I took it on a flight this past weekend and watched Netflix on it and stuff like that. It's just a really great device. Yeah, I haven't seen. I, I've haven't had any issues with uh, battery life for the Pro, but it takes forever to charge. Yeah, it takes a long time to charge. I'll oh, put it on there for God. like a couple hours, and it's like it's a lot slower than my iPad Air two. But you know, well, again, I mean, it's a new device. Yeah. I'm using it a lot more too. I would charge my iPad Air two like once a week, once every ten days, maybe. I'm having to charge my iPad Pro like once every two three days. Good lord, man! Yeah. Those batteries are quite dense. I noticed. Yeah, they, this, they need to have a faster charge for it. I think. I noticed the screen, um, the backlight. I know, obviously, it's much larger, and uh, you know, has to be a little more bright to push through the pixels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I notice uh, that really takes a lot more, more so than the iPad Air and Mini. It really eats the battery. Mm-hmm. like gobbles it up well w- there was also this week a uh uh teardown of the chip that came through uh the a9x where they found that uh it's got a same dual core cpu design as the a9 but the gpu is actually doubled to a 12 cluster from a 6 in the iphone 6s chip so many and, cores and the uh one of the interesting things was that there's no L3 cache in there. Uh, so if you have an iPhone 6S, um, they, they have 8 megabytes of RAM on the die, which, for those of you uh, who don't really understand how chips work, this is a very oversimplification of, how, of the reason for it. But basically, uh, information needs to be sent as quickly as possible for processing to be done. So rather than send it off of the processor and to memory they have a small amount of memory on the chip itself. So it's closer because even when you're dealing with the speed of light and you're doing it millions upon times, millions of times with computations, then it adds up. Right. So, you're, you're basically, you're filling a pipeline with instructions and right. that pipeline has to be fed. You want it always fed. You want it with always information coming in and going into the, the processor as fast as possible. Right. So you want to, most modern chips now have a cache on there uh, on the die itself because it's a, it's a shorter distance. And the shorter physical distance that the data has to travel in the design of the chip, then the faster it can do computation. So there's actually no cache on the A9X chip. And the theory behind that is because the chip is so much larger, they have space for double the bandwidth to go off. So it's just using essentially, you know, uh, outside memory, not on the chip itself for those kind of computations, because Apple is able to overcompensate with more channels to send more stuff. So it's a different completely different chip design um, than you find in the iPhone. And it's much larger to accommodate these uh, additional GPU clusters in there. Well, we should note that it's, there's no L3 cache. It does have L2. Yes. Yes. Correct. Uh, L3 is the speedy, whatever cache. Yeah. And the other thing that they found was that the A9X was apparently built solely by TSMC. So unlike the iPhone 6S situation where Samsung's building some and Taiwan semiconductor are building some, uh, it would appear that Samsung has been cut out of the A9X chip building process. Gasp. Right. This is also the uh, the the smaller nanometer process, right? No, I think Samsung. No, is a smaller Samsung nanometer. has the uh, has that. Okay. 
Yeah. Samsung's is supposedly more efficient in raw tests, but in actual real world performance, there's so many variables that anybody who's worried about what chip their phone has needs to stop being a worry wart. Yeah, there's really no there's really no difference. I have the Samsung. Do I you had the Samsung too, right? Yeah. We checked, yeah. Yeah, the the Samsung was I think there was a difference in terms of like raw processing or something, but nothing really works like that. These these benchmark tests are pointless. No, it was the benchmarks that were uh messing things up because right. they're they're not, you know, they they weren't optimized for the uh, anyway. Um I just like to think that my 6S is lighter than the peoples who have the uh, TSMC. There you go. (laughs) Cool. Well, this week's episode has been sponsored by Igloo. Why invest in the latest, sleekest devices if you're going to use them to stare at an intranet website that looks like it was built in the 1990s? Not only can Igloo be customized to look amazing, but it's got a responsive design, so it's optimized for any device you're using, including the latest iPhones and also your iPad Pro. Um, intranets are, are these weird kinds of, of internal networks that companies use to try and manage incoming communication and calendars and things like that. And traditionally, in, in my experience, they've been all terribly gross. They've been awful uniformly. Everyone I've ever seen has sucked. But Igloo is trying to make one that's not only nice to use, it works with everything that you want to do. It means everything you can do at your desk, you can do on the go, on your phone, and it, it gets out of your way and helps you do better work rather than, than getting in the way like the ones that I've used to use did. You can share files, you can coordinate calendars, and you can provide status updates and manage projects from it. It's, it's not just the traditional stuff that you'd find like HR policies and expense forms. It lets you work better with your teams. Sign up now and get a free trial at igloosoftware.com insider. This is one that I think applies to you, Neil. There's a rumor about a four-inch iPhone. <laughs> and we know you. We know you well by now that yeah. you like that smaller device. But it's not going to have the latest and greatest stuff, so... Well, it's going to have... So so yeah. you say that, but what's it going to have? Well, Ming-Chi Kuo, who I mentioned before and who our readers absolutely hate, uh, <laughs> who gets almost everything right, uh, it, what he does mess up to be fair, is timing of stuff. Sometimes he'll say it's going to launch in this time frame and he's wrong. But other than that, in terms of the hardware and specifications, he's generally right. So, uh, he says so why that, is this iPhone not for you? Why, what's, what's, what's in it? Well, he says there's going to be a new 4-inch iPhone next year. Hmm. He thinks it's going to come in early 2016, which means it'll probably come a little later than that, but, you know. Uh, he says it's going to have an A9 processor, which he said before, but is still kind of surprising if it's going to coexist alongside the iPhone 6. And cost less than it. Um, and he says it's also going to have Apple Pay, which not, again, not not, not surprising, I guess, but uh, uh, an upgrade over the iPhone 5S, which does not have Apple Pay, which is good. Um, yeah, and he thinks it's going to be Apple's new budget phone priced between $400 and $500, so probably at the 450 mark, just like the iPhone 5S is. He doesn't think that the camera is going to be upgraded, which is a real bummer for me. Um, mm. You know, I use my iPhone camera a lot. And I love it. And I want it to get better because I also use high-end cameras that I like to shoot with, but I can't carry those in my pocket. So you you want a 6S mm-hmm. in a 4-inch size. Yes. But even then, you know, it's going to come out alongside an iPhone 7, which is going to have an even better camera. And then it's like, well, do I want to get the same phone but smaller? Like, 
you know, I'm gonna, you will I'm gonna... never be satisfied. Well, You're I mean, right. Ming Chi's uh, uh, timeline kind of works out, right? If he says it's the mid first half, yes, mid <laughs> so first it, half is what he said. So, what if Apple just replaces the five S, mm-hmm. right, with this? I don't know what they're gonna call it six. The, the, the four-inch phone. Yeah, I don't know. If they can't call it the. I don't know if they're going to call it. Just call it the four-inch phone. Come in two or three colors, so they can't really call it a six C. That's just what we've been calling yeah. it because it's the only thing we got. Shorthand six X. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, whatever they're going to call it, and then right. you know they they get rid of the. It just stands as a replacement for that, right? Um, and if it has an A nine chip, it'll be faster, of course, and comparable right. with the so. Makes it easier for them in terms of what's supported for software. Yeah, so not counting the six at like just forget about the success for now. Mm-hmm. You could buy one and pretend like you're living in 2014. <laughs> you know, before the success came out, and I, but with the better processor, my six. My problem with this rumor is this: if this phone launches next March for four hundred fifty dollars and it has the exact same processor and capabilities of an iPhone six. The only reason to spend a hundred dollars more is for the larger screen. Yeah, but that's what you wanted. Uh, no, I I think that's great. I just don't think Apple will do it because no. you got to remember. Here is the rumor, another rumor that's worth noting. It's also expected that next year only the iPhone or iPhone Seven Plus, the larger one, the five point five inch model, that's going to be the only one that gets three gigs of RAM. The rumor is that they're going to keep the four point seven inch model of the iPhone Seven at two gigs of RAM. So it's looking like Apple's going to start doing what they have in the MacBook Pro line, like I, I referred to earlier, where you can't get a graphics card in the 13-inch model and only in the 15-inch model. It seems like Apple's going to start squeezing more hardware and more capabilities into the larger phones. So it would really surprise me if they sold a A9-powered uh, processor in this phone that would actually be faster than the iPhone 6. See what I'm saying? Because the iPhone 6 is an A8 processor. Yeah. So you're going to sell a $450 phone that's faster than the $550 phone? So so I have a question. Why why not get rid of the 6 entirely and just have the 4-inch and Well, that's what the I thought they were going to do in September. That was my prediction. Right. So yeah. so this wasn't ready in September. Now it is. Do it now. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you could. But again, you're going to be selling. I mean, part a, of it's about how much stock they have okay, on hand, right? I mean, you don't want to you don't want to do that when you have tons of iPhone sixes on hand. I'm, I'd still be surprised if they sold a phone that was just as fast as the iPhone six S in a four inch design at the same time. I would, but with worse camera and with worse camera and smaller screen. I would be surprised. I get I, it. Yeah, I, I, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. The A eight makes more sense from a complete shot in the dark. Here. Right, like I have, I have no idea. Last year versus this year, right? That, I'm yeah, just, that, just that knowing how they do things. Just knowing how they do things, it would surprise me. It would make more sense to put the A9 in a mid-range phone that comes out alongside the iPhone Seven, much like they did with the Five C when it launched. Last year's components kind of repackaged. That would make more sense to me. That's this what I is, thought they did last year, but they didn't. This is the kind of thing you do when you're trying to support a transition of something or or support. Uh, you know, like if, if they wanted everyone to get on Apple Pay, this would be the fastest way to pull it off. Right. Because now your choices are you get a device with Apple Pay or you don't get a device. Um, 
you know, it's kind of like the iPad 4 existed for a brief period of time. It was the same size as the iPad 3, and the only difference was you got lightning, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other reason you do this is because you realize that you've, you've got the iPhone 6 around, but people are buying a ton of 5Ss because they're cheap, and you don't want to have to support that thing forever, so you blow that out of the line. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure... It's what they're it, something's, do with this something's funny about this. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something's not lining up right. And this will all come to be clear. soon. now to be, to be fair, I think that every, I like everything about this rumor. I like that it has an a nine chip. I like that it's launching early. I think that it would be smart for Apple to kind of stagger their iPhone launches a little bit because right now the market is so obsessed with, Oh, we know the trends of the iPhone's going to dip off, blah, blah, blah. Well, it. it's it's that it used to be the uh, subsidy model, right? right? Where my contract ended, therefore I could only get a new phone at. Some and people are on these eight, eight, T-Mobile plans where you can get three new phones a year. Just keep swapping them out, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, uh, <laughs> I hate to say this because I'll get uh, burned alive by listeners, but Apple should actually borrow something from Samsung here and stagger their phone launches. <gasps> Sa- what? Samsung, <sighs> for a while, I think they made them a little closer this year, but they've been doing... Uh, the Note is sold at a separate date than the Galaxy, the Galaxy S. So the Galaxy S launches like what? Uh, or I, I think this year, didn't they launch at the same time? I don't know. They release so many phones every year, it's hard for me to, s- to remember. But I think a couple of years ago, they did a thing where the Galaxy S was coming out in like June or July, and the Note was coming out in like October. And I could see Apple doing something like that, and I think it'd be smart. And you could cater to two completely different markets. You don't have to... Uh, do it all at once. I mean, the, certainly it would not be unprecedented. They do that with Macs. You never know when a new Mac's going to come out other than, you know, because they're beholden to Intel's stuff. But I, I yeah, think be, you, well, you used to know based on when Macworld was going to be. Well, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and, and, but even with the iPad, right? I mean, you have, you've had some mid-cycle upgrades, some non-upgrades. So the iPad 3 and iPad 4 came out the same year. Uh, the iPad Air 2 is not updated this year. So, I mean, it's not 100% uh, beholden to a schedule. The only thing that is generally speaking is the flagship iPhone. So if they had a flagship, you know, uh, smaller phone release it March or April, kind of stagger the launches a little bit that would offset your seasonal trends of people not buying phones come June or July waiting for a September unveiling. I think it'd be a smart strategy. Yeah. I agree. So let's talk about this Amazon Prime video story. Apple TV is is one of my favorite devices. We all know that. But Mikey, yep. what, what, is, what is Amazon saying? Because they kicked Apple TV out of Amazon mm-hmm. because it didn't support Amazon Prime video. What's going on? Well, I mean, obviously, yeah. Well, that, yeah. I mean, that's basically why they did it. But they, they didn't want to confuse their customers, right? They wanted only to have streamers that worked with their prime service because if they didn't the customers wouldn't would buy it and be how come how come i can't get prime on this so obviously the best course of action is to totally remove those products from your uh your digital shelves but anyway aside from that uh it's a note of sarcasm there a little bit um so they were i mean one of the things people are looking forward to um with the new fourth generation Apple TV or uh, uh, apps like prime video, 
right? So, I mean, we have uh, similar ones now with uh, Netflix and uh, Hulu, uh, but Prime Video was notably absent uh, at launch, and people were wondering if and when Amazon would one day create an app for tvOS. And apparently reps are, uh, support team reps are saying that Yes, Amazon is working on a tvOS app, and it could be out in a matter of weeks. So uh, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, these aren't official PR people. Yeah, I wanted people's. to ask, do, what, what, what do reps know? Um, okay, well, I mean, here's the thing. That's like going to the Apple store or the yeah. retail store and asking a guy in a blue shirt, yeah. when's the new MacBook Well, they don't know. And... Yeah, they don't know. <laughs> but then if they ping someone who does know, in this case, the Amazon reps supposedly talk to their technical team, um, and the technical team confirmed that they are working on it, but that does yeah. not mean. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't we, buy it. I mean, we we have uh, we had a few readers who also asked Amazon the same question: When are we going to get a TVOS app for Prime Video? Um, and those people received a similar answer, except uh, the reps didn't go so far as to say that Amazon is going to release it. They they just said Amazon is. Considering his options, basically, we're aware we're, of the problem. Yeah, obviously <laughs> well, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna experiment and code one and see how it goes, and then they may or may not release it. Who knows? I will believe it when I see it. I, I think it would. I think it's stupid if they don't do it. And I assume that they've had the opportunity to do it with Apple for years with the second and third generation Apple TVs. And didn't do it for whatever reason, but we don't really know because nobody's Money. actually said. Because they don't want to give 30% to Apple. Well, although so. it's easier to do it now because the the SDK and Xcode make it a lot simpler to launch. I, yeah, but I, don't I think, think, that's I think it's problem, been Apple's though. decision. Yeah, that wasn't I, the... Yeah. I, I think that Amazon was the one that didn't want to do it for a variety of reasons, but they want to sell their own hardware. They don't want to you know, create a thing where you have to go on there, but you can't sign up because they don't want to pay 30% to Apple, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's It's that kind of thing. But I want to go on a little rant here because Amazon issued a press release this week saying, and they do this from time. I was just about to ask you about this one. And well, it drives me up a freaking wall because Amazon <laughs> does this all the time where they say, oh, our devices sold this much more than last year and we sold this and we sold that. And they don't give you any specific figures at all. They give you nothing. Right. So they put out a press release. The Fire Phone was a raging success, yeah, exactly, Neil. Exactly. Yeah. It was huge. Right. So, Sorry. They put out a press release this week uh, touting the performance of Fire TV specifically, but also Kindles and stuff like that. So they say uh, in their press release, they said that Amazon, uh, Amazon said that from July to October, the Fire TV was the number one selling streaming media player in the U.S. They didn't say from where, but that sounds plausible, right? They get cheap streaming players out there and from July to October... That's before the Apple TV launched, the new one. So, okay, that makes sense. Of yeah, course, coincidental about that, uh, yeah, right? Of course, conveniently, the sales point cuts off at that point where the Apple TV launched, and we don't know what happened in November, even though November's concluded. So, okay. Now, in my story, I said it was that their data was kind of a misnomer because it was, it was dishonest. A couple of readers took me to task on that. We can debate over the use of the words, but I stand by what I wrote. Now, in that same part where they said that they also said that it was the number one selling device on amazon over the weekend for black friday making it sound like it was still the number one selling device well amazon doesn't sell the apple tv 
So therefore, you don't know that it would have outsold the Apple TV because they don't allow it on their storefront. They removed it a few weeks ago. Right. Between Roku and Apple TV, I'm sorry, let me say that again. Between Roku and Fire TV and Fire TV being discounted by Amazon, Fire TV sold lots of units. Well, dang, that was hard to figure out. And. yeah, factually, it, it, I mean, it's good PR. It's a, their it's statement good, is factually It's good true, PR. I, I I agree. But the problem is the way it was presented was dishonest, and uh, you know, some people who I guess are pro Amazon people in the comments were saying, you know, that I was being unfair to Amazon or something like that. But again, I stand by what I wrote because you have to understand that Amazon put out a press release where they gave no sales figures at all, none. Now, if Apple did this, could you imagine if Apple came out and said? We and put out a press release and said we sold a lot of iPhones last weekend. It was awesome. See ya. Apocalyptically bad. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> the world would end. Could you imagine <laughs> if they did that? So like, uh, you know, all these figures in here, they're saying it sold six times more than last year. Well, what if you t- sold 12 of them last year? I mean, th- the numbers mean absolutely nothing. The closest they came to any actual data in this press release was they said that the seven inch fire tablet, which they sell for $50 and was on sale for 35 for Black Friday. They say they sold millions of them. Does that mean two million? I mean, what does that mean? It, it, it's it's meaningless data. And if this was like given away in an interview or something like that, you know, Jeff Bezos did some, you know, recode uh, presentation. Right, some off the cuff remark yeah, or something. Fine. Okay, I don't care. But no, this is PR. They're putting out a press release and they're giving you no specific data at all. And the, the data is presented in a way that is misleading and makes it sound like the Amazon Fire TV outsold the Apple TV over this last weekend. Now, to be fair, Apple hasn't announced any Apple TV sales figures either. The difference is Apple hasn't done a press release either. That was a hell of a rant, Neil. Yeah. And and I, I'm totally with you. When you're putting out an official release, you got to include some kind of data. Just sending out something that has no data or, or nothing you can actually get meaningful information out of is a waste of everyone's yeah, time. Yeah, put some meat on the bones. It's insulting. All you need to know is that people are buying it, and you need to buy one too. Yeah. They're buying them because they're $35 tablets. I, I gave away my Fire TV stick. It's no longer just throwing possession. it away. I gave it out. Why would you, why would you foist that pain on someone else? <sighs> All right. Well, I foisted it on my father, actually. Oh, God. Yeah. Patricide. <laughs> the things we do for family. One of the cool things that I liked about today's news was that Swift is finally open source. You, you guys saw that story, right? You, you wrote that story, actually. <laughs> um, I think it's really cool. I mean, we've, we've had a lot of, of – Apple's always been open source, right? Ever since, since the beginning of OS X – um, Darwin, the the mock kernel, a lot of the things that that underpin the uh, the Mac OS X and then by extension iOS have been open source. Except Safari FaceTime. is. Uh, thank you, thank you. I I that's one of the things that still kills me is that FaceTime was promised to be open source and never got there. Yeah, I think that was because of a patent dispute and also because they realized that if they kept it proprietary, it would be better for them. Yeah. Yep. That was one of the jobs announcements that never came true. Yep. But uh, but Swift, the programming language, a modern programming language that is safe, fast, and interactive, is out there. The, the source is available, and Apple has used GitHub to distribute the source and to also you know take pull requests. And 
This is huge because it was, they've got it out there for obviously OS X. They've got it out there for iOS. They've got it out there for Linux now. People can go ahead and write against Linux on it. I think they're distributing it for Ubuntu distribution of Linux. Nice. Ubuntu. Ubuntu. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I think I saw something a while ago about it, it being possible to use it on Microsoft as well, on, on Windows. So this is a big development, right? People can go ahead and write on any of those platforms and be able to recompile and rerun on iOS and OS X as well. Now, so one of the things that, that developers should watch out for is that when you use Swift, um, that not all of the foundations are there yet, and anything that relies on Objective-C is not there. But if you go Swift only, then everything's there. It works. You guys that's, there? A, that's an oversimplification, obviously, but it's it's huge that we've got this. I don't know, Neil. What do you what do you think? Am I overplaying it here? Am I thinking it's too big a deal? So I I was playing this up as being a really big deal. Do you, do you guys think I'm making too much of a thing of it? No, no. I think it's a pretty big deal. I think it's a good how, thing. How how big is it? Huge. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think it's gonna it's gonna do well for the adoption of Swift. I think that uh, that's a good position for Apple to be in. I think it's. And I think it's good for developers and I think it's good for, I think it's good for everybody. I, I don't see a, a bad side to this really. I, one of the things that really appeals to me about this is that my understanding is that Swift is an easy language to learn, or at least an easier language to learn than some others. Right. And so you've got something that is, is approachable and achievable for new programmers. You've got something that obviously can be picked up quickly by old hands at development and it works across all these different platforms. That's that's a really big deal for me, because it means that that instead of you know the old days, if someone was going to write something for Apple, it meant they had to have an Apple machine. It meant they had to have Objective C knowledge. It meant they had to have Xcode, and you had a relatively small pool of developers who were doing it. This this opens the gates for everything. Does this mean that we're finally going to be able to write iPad apps on an iPad? Mm. Maybe. I, I'm i seeing that as the future, yeah. I think we're still a few years off from that, but that'll be really cool. That's that's where I want it to go, don't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you've got the iPad Pro there. Why not? Hey, I'm the, I'm the one that's been calling for uh, professional-grade apps. I want Final Cut on my iPad. I, I want professional-grade audio editing. I want to produce the podcast exactly. on the iPad. Yep, I agree. And and we're getting there, but we're not there yet. Not quite, but yeah. Slowly Although there is there is a beautiful audio editing app that I've been trying out on the phone and on the iPad called Ferrite. Mm-hmm. And Ferrite is is meant for producing podcasts kind of thing with multi-tracking and That's all that. That's pretty cool. Do you record it on the phone or? You, you can record directly on the phone. You can import files recorded elsewhere. Cool. You can import... Uh, Files that are are both you know the pre recorded kind of of soundtrack audio that we use at the beginning of the episode, as well as our separate files and line them up and and sync them and edit them on the thing. Awesome. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I just need to go ahead and spend the twenty dollars to get the rest of the uh, deepskate. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I wanted to try it out first. That's why they make it this way. So speaking about apps, you asked our readers to pick their best note taking apps. What did we find? You want me to handle this one? Yeah. I didn't write it. No, Nate wrote it, but go ahead. 
Uh, yeah. So our very own Nate Hansen uh, solicited some uh, options from people on Twitter a few weeks ago, asking what their favorite note-taking apps were. He took uh, the top six most popular and put it together on a poll on Apple Insider. And we ran that last week. And a few thousand of you responded. And the big winner was Apple Notes, uh, 40% of respondents chose Apple notes. 27% went with number two, which is Evernote. Uh, coming in third was Microsoft OneNote. Fourth was Notability. Number five is Good Notes, And number six with 3% is Notes Plus. So Apple notes, uh, pretty commanding win over Evernote there. Um, it's definitely a much better app in iOS nine, uh, in terms of what you can do with it, bullet points and lists and drawing and all that kind of stuff. I use notes, uh, myself. Um, I use it a lot. I really like it. Uh, my favorite feature is the ease of cross-platform sync. Uh, it just works pretty well. Um, it actually works better for iCloud syncing than like, for example, photos. So a lot of times I'll shoot a photo on my phone and want to get it on my Mac and I have to open the photos app on my phone to get it to upload, even though I'm at home and on Wi-Fi. I don't have those kind of issues with notes. I just airdrop it. Yeah, I'll do that a lot too, but sometimes AirDrop takes a second to show up and stuff. So uh, I will, if I'm making my way over my computer, load up the Photos app to have it upload. And then by the time I get to my computer and open the Photos app, it'll start downloading it, which works. But with notes, I don't have to do that kind of junk. Um, it just works and it works well. And all my notes are synced on there and it's a lot more powerful in iOS 9. So good choice, readers. I agree. Good choice, readers. I use I use Evernote as well. Um, I use Evernote for work purposes and some other stuff, uh, but really that's more of an inertia thing. Um, I've just always had those documents saved there, and that was before Notes had iCloud syncing, so I still default to it for that, for like invoicing for work and stuff like that. But uh, other than that, if I needed to, you know, just to jot down a quick note, uh, I use Notes on my iPhone. Well, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast. We've had with us Mikey Campbell. Yo. Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? At MikeyCampbell81 at, uh, on the uh, Twitter and on Apple Insider. All right. And Neil Hughes, Managing Editor of Apple Insider. Where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at ThisIsNeil, and you can read my stuff at Apple Insider. Brilliant. Well, this has been our episode, and if... Mikey has Amazon Prime Video working on Apple TV next week. We'll be sure to tell you all about it here on the Apple Insider Podcast.